Steve, I, I just want to inform you that there's college football this weekend. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm also excited about our podcast today. It's a great one. It's almost as exciting as Penn State. Well, not Penn State, but college football returning. In fact, I would well, rank I this podcast better. better. This yeah, yes. I think this is 100% better that you, you're going to get more enjoyment listening out of this podcast than you are waking up at 9 a.m. to watch Nebraska and what Northwestern play in Ireland. Totally agree. Okay. Anyways, this is the Stuff Summer Says podcast with Steve. With Steve. Steve, we had a wonderful interview today with your dear friend, uh, former collegian beat writer, right? Co-beat writer with you, I think is the correct term. Uh, Mark Wogenrich, uh, you guys go way back. It's a, it's a good conversation about uh, a kind of his transition from the print side to the digital side, um, you know, kind of some of the factors that have made him change. Of course, we kind of get into the access that we always like to talk about with Penn State, um, Penn State beat writing we had a great conversation about um you know everything that involved in nil um definitely want to listen to this um and take take a take a good it's a little bit of our one of our longer interviews but it's worth every second so go ahead take a listen to that and uh we'll be back after this steve normally i tee up the guests and i'm throwing you a curveball right off the bat but You've known Mark a lot longer, so I'm going to let you tee up Mark, who is very kind to join us on our podcast today. Well, and I didn't take notes on the title I was supposed to pay attention to, and you throw me a curveball, and the reason I'm not playing old man baseball anymore this summer is I can't hit the curve. So that lines up all the way around. Um, <laughs> our guest this week is Mark Wogenrich, who's been covering Penn State football since 1987-ish, probably, or 88. Yeah, you want to throw the collegiate years in there, absolutely. Well, certainly. I there was a gap, and then restarted in 98. How long was the gap? Uh, eight years? Yeah, eight years. Why was there a gap? I guess I didn't know that. I was yeah, I was covering high schools, high school sports, high school football, mm-hmm. high school wrestling. Mm-hmm. We had one of the deans of Penn State beat writing on the beat then, right. John Kunda. But you still did the features. Later the Alton Morticall. Yeah, I was up occasionally, but not I mean, I didn't get up like I was not up there at all, like in 94, 93, 94, 95. Um did a couple of occasional stories, but 98 was the first year full-time. Okay. So one of the longest running members of Penn State beat. Honestly, I don't, <laughs> we do a sports media podcast and I don't, I don't pay to, to read the sports media ones that you have to pay for and the stuff, but I read Mark's <laughs> stuff because I know. Because it's free. Because <laughs> it's free and it's good. Um, so yes, there's our guest for the week. There you go, Darian. Teed up. Good job. Good job, Steve. I'm very proud of you. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm good, Darren. How are you? I- Good. I, I, feel like, me. I feel like I feel like I do expect you to carry this thing. So, I, well, I, yeah, I, I, I carry this podcast, but that's for sure. Um, it's the reason my name's first. Um, no, I think I think you also forgot to mention that. Oh, wait, no, we did discuss this. Is so it's always good to have another Daily Collegian alum join this podcast. So, absolutely, I, I look forward to I'm, I'm actually speaking at a Collegian, um, a Collegian symposium. Um, in October on homecoming weekend. Looking forward Sunday, to that with John Sunday Black. Of, John Black's going to be on there. My goodness. Sunday That's going to be phenomenal. In the Bell yeah. Media Center at 10 a.m. There you go. 10? 
I think it's 10 a.m. It's <laughs> a rough morning after a whiteout. Uh, okay. Anyways, where were we? Um, no, thank you very much for joining us, Mark. We've got a myriad of questions for you today. Um, kind of previewing the season, but I think, as Steve mentioned, this is a sports media podcast, and I think we want to kind of pick on some things there um, and kind of pick your brain, uh, both, you know, your career path, your career trajectory, and of course, then, you know, kind of the state of the Penn State media beat. I would say Steve always likes when we start there. So let's start there. Um, Steve's all perked up and excited. Let me let me ask you this. We we had Corey Geiger on. Um, a lot of our conversation kind of evolved around is the Penn State beat tough enough on Penn State football, Penn State athletics. And also the kind of devil's advocate that you have to pay, you have to be careful of the biting the hand that feeds type thing. What is your outlook on that? Do you do you feel like your job is a little bit harder? Um than maybe other beat writers around the country just based off of the way you get information? A lot of other beats, when you're talking about college beats and also pro beats, a lot of other beats are centered in the location of the university. You know, obviously Ohio State centered in Columbus, so you've got a ton of beat people in Columbus and Alabama, everywhere. You, you Everybody lives there. One of the unique things I think about the Penn State beat, and this is the way it started and grew up from essentially from the 60s, the late 60s, is that it covers all points of Pennsylvania. And it started from a newspaper basis, a very newspaper ethos, because Joe Paterno and then Jim Tarman kind of did a, a circle tour of Pennsylvania in the late, at the late 60s, early 70s, trying to drum up interest. But people covered it from afar. People, Some people still do that from afar you i mean penn state has long set up a um, a conference call with their coaches joe paterno did it i don't know 30 years or something like that that's how they pretty much did his weekly media availability is through conference calls so you didn't have to drive from pittsburgh or philadelphia or allentown or erie or scranton or where or york or wherever you just got on the call and i think that set up a detached nature to the beat it's it's become more local since Bill O'Brien uh, was hired and, and then James Franklin. I remember we had a discussion when Bill O'Brien was hired, a couple of B people with Jeff Nelson, their former SID. And we asked, hey, do we need to like rent an apartment or something in season? Should we do something like that? Is he going to turn this? I mean, is he going to make this a local beat where you're going to have availability post-practice and availability was going to be local? That sort of thing. Again, we're talking about the pre-Zoom, pre-internet, so you know, not a, you know, pre-Zoom era. So everything was still by phone, and he was not going. And so Bill O'Brien really wasn't going to do that. So that wasn't then become a thing. They just kind of held that over. And James Franklin though has made it a bit more local. He's made it more important for you to be there. You know, weekly, uh, even over the course of an off season. Um, you know, with a Wednesday availability in person. They're coming back to to that, you know, a little bit last year and coming back to that this year. He has made it a more local beat. So there are more, I think, locally with now with the recruiting sites covering Penn State football as Penn State football and not just as a recruiting platform with other sites coming in and, you know, local sites, you know, call the college um, 
the college sites, collegiate onward, the other sites getting credentialed. It has become a, a much more, I think, local beat than it was. And so you are, you're, I would say you're at a bit of a disadvantage if you're not up there. You have to make the trade-offs. You know, is it worth driving two to three hours for ten minutes after practice? Well, it is. You know, or but it's there's value in being there after practice because James will see you, and you will ask him questions, and then you will get to establish, even if it's at a distance like that, a bit of a rapport. So in that sense, it's changed that you don't cue yourself up just for that one. You know, when you're called on Tuesday in the conference call, if you are going to really make a go of it, you got to get up there a few times. And, and, and you know, just kind of like personally, I need to get up there probably more than I do. Do you sense that you, you mentioned the coach Franklin, do you sense that he does he know who's there and who's not? Like, does he take attendance in his mind or at least have an awareness of who he's seeing, do you think? And does it play in to how he interacts? Oh, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Especially when you get into the season. Like I said, Wednesday post-practice, 10 to 15 minutes with Coach Franklin. As you get you know deeper into the season and it's getting colder and darker earlier, he's going to get fewer people there. And he's going to see you know essentially the same faces, the people who live in State College. So he gets to know, at least by face, that he recognizes people and he gets to know them. And he, he takes note of questions that people ask. I think he knows who's going to ask him. He's going to have to ask him a tough roster question or a tough program question, or who's going to ask him, you know, what's the deal with LSU, USC, Texas, Miami, whatever rumor du jour, who's going to ask him an esoteric, uh, you know, flyover point, you know, question from 30,000 feet about the general, you know, general nature of the program. Who's going to ask him something kind of football theory wise. So he, he absolutely picks up on that. He, you know, he, and he knows people. He absolutely knows people on the beat. I think he has, he definitely has some favorites and he has people who he uh, responds to a little better than us, others overall. I don't think there's any question about that. And some of your response to maybe a little bit less. <laughs> um, on that drop down of, of kind of, how you approach the beat how do you approach the beat now versus maybe back in your collegian days with steve has that changed or is that still your like i feel like when i was re- reporting i report reproached everything the same way and you feel like even by the time i was done reporting that's how i still approach things right or wrong it's largely the same but i feel like because it's a website and because we're beholden to the Google search and SEO and metrics, things like that. I feel like there's, for a lot of stories, there's less reporting and it's more posting. I'll catch a nugget. I'll catch something that I go, that I think, okay, that can make, I can make four or 500 word post out of that essential small detail. One quote, turn it around. It's a quick post. And that becomes yeah, you do that a couple of times and maybe then you lose sight of trying to string those things together into a larger story. I wrote a bunch of stories over this off season about NIL and just how James responded to it and how Penn State responded to it and some of the other things. But I think I, you know, in some ways I also could have taken a, you know, a stretch that out over a larger approach and really sat down and thought about 
what each of these points mean, string them together into a broader story that maybe approaches NIL and Penn State in NIL. It's you know what's doing with NIL that could that can explain it maybe a little further. And I did I have tried to do that occasionally, but you know you would reporting. I would you know get on a Joe Paterno conference call at twelve thirty on a Tuesday and maybe I'd sit around and, and, and think about what he said. I, I didn't have to post something at one o'clock. I didn't need something on the website. So everybody knows that that's not in any way new, but I feel like some of that reporting gets a little bit lost in the, in getting something out to get it into the uh, Google sphere. And, you know, some of the larger stories, maybe where I could stress some of those things out, maybe get lost. I try to come back to those a little more. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of content out there. So you really do either have to differentiate or be, or, or do it quickly. And I'll tell you some, some of the young kids can get online faster than I even thought was possible. Like I, sometimes I see these things. I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you typed up a 350 word post or whatever it is and have it online 11 seconds after James Franklin says something. That's a skill. It really is. Yeah, that was always that was always a stressful point for me when I worked at the <laughs> Collegian, um, needless to say. Um, with, you know, do you think your writing style has changed from going from the morning call to, to fan nation at si.com? Yeah, and part of it, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, Writing for, I, you know, I never worried about, and this is kind of getting into some of the SEO journalism kind of things, but I never necessarily worried about getting Penn State Nittany Lions 22 foot, 2022 football season into the first hundred words. And that's just, be, that's the digital nature of it. And it's, you know, that's absolutely part of it. So I believe I'm writing shorter. Uh, some of the things that I'll do, in, you know, in the longer form, I still try to do those stories every now and then where I'm doing what I think is still a good journalism piece because that absolutely has to be part of it because Google's not just capturing keywords. Google over a long term and all search is trying to capture um, authoritative writing and authoritative reporting and research too. That's a big thing. That keeps people coming back. I can get something online in 35 minutes, but it might not draw somebody back because it might just be one. It's already out there too. And it might be just uh, really have no depth, really be fairly shallow. So there's those two elements really, I, I think they compete in a way, in a good way, but they do compete in a good way in writing short with keywords and also then writing something that is authoritative and insightful and does have some depth to it that makes somebody, uh, that keeps the session going longer and it keeps the click-through rate going too. That's interesting. Uh, I, I guess the other question that I have someone like you is a lot of the times on the Penn State beat you look at at you know like you said 12 30 after James or you know one o'clock after James Franklin's press conference is over and every article that you end up reading is relatively the same maybe a different order of, of importance how do you make yourself differentiate from kind of that parroting um and and kind of you know, what has been your, without maybe spilling too many trade secrets, but what, what has been your kind of go-to to recipe for that? Trying to pick something 
trying to pick something again that you can flesh out. That's just not a throwaway comment. That's just not a Twitter comment that you're going to aggregate into something just a bit larger, trying to pick something that you can flesh out. Um, I'm guilty of doing the five things we've learned piece because sometimes there really just isn't that much there. Sometimes, sometimes I'll just give up on it. And I will say, look, there, there wasn't really anything there. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight the one, you know, the one thirty two o'clock uh, posting race. And I'm trying going to try to get out maybe later after that with something that I find that I can look into a little bit deeper. That I can do just maybe a touch more research on or just some background, maybe some historical background or something like that. So that maybe at five. I have a post that goes up that that would be a differentiator, that sort of thing. That makes sense. But I try, I mean, uh, but I, like I said, I'm guilty of the, here's what we learned from James Franklin. And like you said, there's 10 of those. On a good week though, you're going to, you're going to have, so say it's a Tuesday presser, say you come to town Wednesday, there's a game Saturday. Mm -hmm. On a good week, you get four or five questions maybe that you actually ask. Probably right. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. So that's a great you, week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so how do you, when you have that little control over what's your information you're trying to elicit, do you get to something you really want to do? I mean, I know everybody's doing yeah. stuff, right. And hopefully somebody's doing something similar, but when you have so little control over what you're trying to pull out, how do you pull out something good? That's yeah, that's a real challenge. Some things, some things, you know, some things that James Franklin will say will touch maybe a historical piece, something that he said in the past, because, you know, he said a lot of words over the past eight years. And if you've listened to it, you can cut, you can catch themes running through a season. 2020 theme that ran through the season was his real kind of reticence to discuss it, but his disappointment in the way Penn State was kind of handling its COVID protocols and the Big Ten handling the COVID protocols with regard to uh, restrictions on the program and how they were unable to meet and practice and that sort of thing. And how that was just the, that affected the team and how other schools and other conferences didn't do that. 2021 kind of a theme that ran through the season, at least off field was his reaction to other jobs. The, you know, the rumors of other jobs and his contract negotiation, when he was trying to say was, look, there are some points that I'm trying to get to here are my, you know, uh, a 10 year deal and, and more resources for uh, for facilities and I want you know bigger recruiting staff and more resources for other staff for uh, analysts things like that he was telling you all that over the course of time so if you pick up on little things and maybe he hits a, a good soundbite at some point I think at one point last year he said uh, James said something like Penn, uh, Penn State is home to me as uh, paraphrasing but it was that sort of theme when somebody asked him about, and you know, yet again, why don't you say I'm staying at Penn state and this is, you know, these jobs, this doesn't mean anything. He said, Penn state is home to me, but as you know, there are some other things that are, that, that, that go on around this program. Well, I took that as kind of a quote and then tried to build around that stuff he had said earlier and other points he had made. So that, that kind of thing, or I try to, try to take something especially again as you get later into a season that you can build you can build stories you can build layers of stories 
because of what has come before. This year, it's been NIL. I mean, the offseason's mm-hmm. been NIL. I'll run a, read a bunch of that. And you can really glean from, from James Franklin in what, not necessarily what he says, but how he says it, that he's not happy with the way Penn State, not just the university, but the fan base has really not embraced uh, NIL you know, opportunities. He's basically saying, we need more money. We need you to give it to us without right. saying that. <laughs> right. Well, you got to actively listen to hear that stuff too, right? I mean, yeah. you know, there's that. And I think the stuff last year with, with the move or not move or whatever was going on, you know, he, at one point he said, you know, it'd be great if somebody told this story, but none of the media outlets are in a situation to have somebody that's going to go and, and, and study six other programs and see how much stuff they're doing and then come up with what he wanted them to do because he has more analysts on staff than most reporters have in their newsrooms, right? So it's kind of tough for, for that thing to have happen. That's one of, one of the great one of the great things that I, I like when he does that. When he says and one of the he said it last year. I invite you when you're at these other schools to go visit their facilities and go see what they do, and then compare to what we have. And that's okay. I'll show up at I'm going to show up at Alabama, you know, and knock on Nick Saban's door. Can I get a tour? Can I see? Can I get? Can I see the? Uh, the players lounge can I see your weight room? Can I see the cold therapy room and, and compare and contrast that with Penn state? I, I don't think that invitation would be forthcoming, but that's what, that's the thing. That's what he wants you to do because the story he wants out there is Penn state's facilities do not compare to these other programs. Penn state's uh, analyst staff, the number of analysts they have on the staff does not pair with what Alabama does. Penn state's, uh, 12 member, whatever it is, recruiting staff does not compare to Ohio, St- Ohio State's 22 member recruiting staff. That's what he wants you to do. And it'd be great. So, I, you know, sometimes you want to get pushback with that and say, okay, call, you know, when, when we're in Ohio, when we're out of state, you know, we're, next time we're at Michigan, call Jim Harbaugh. Can you set that up for us? You know, middle of the exactly. game week, I'm sure he'd love that. Yeah. Um, do you, I think there's a, a prevailing sentiment amongst Penn State fans that occasionally they'll get tired of the PR spokesman that James Franklin can be. Um, do you as a media member get tired of that? Or is that kind of, you know, write that down now. And then, you know, once they lose a couple games, you kind of point back to you said this type of thing. Is, is that something that, that you like or is it annoying because it's just lip yeah. service basically there's a bit of a gotcha element to that that i don't know that i necessarily want to play although sometimes it it can be fair because he certainly you know he certainly can do that you know he certainly can give you something and one of the themes of this year as we go into the season is the way he will, you know, he's choosing not to say the offensive line has turned a corner or the offensive line looks really good this year. This might be one of the better offensive lines we've had. He said that probably four or five times at Penn State. I remember sitting with him after a coaching clinic. Um, I think it might have been 18. Yeah, I think it was 2018. And uh, he said, I think this is going to be one of the best offensive lines we've had here at Penn State. And now he won't do that. And I think one of the interesting quotes he he delivered it was after practice, I think maybe two weeks ago. Somebody asked him about that. It was a, it was a really kind of interesting way to broach the question. We basically said, "Why are you doing this? Why are you why are you taking this preseason approach specifically with the offensive line 
that you will not say this is one of your better offensive lines. We're just going to go out and prove it. And he illuminatingly said, because the other approach hasn't worked. <laughs> and that was kind of, and that was the end quote, you know, and that kind of thing. So if you're doing, if you're doing a story about the offensive line, well, he, yeah, he pretty much just gave you the anchor to that story. He's gave you the, you know, the lead and he gave you uh, the, you know, we call it the nut graph in journalism. It's that it's what it explains what your story is about. That's what your story is about. How good is the offensive line going to be at Penn state? James Franklin really doesn't want to say just in case it goes wrong again, then he can't be, you know, he can't be told, Hey, you said this about the offensive line. You were wrong again. What's the deal? So. I have an access question um, in terms of NIL, right? There's a, there's a, there's a podcast. It's part of the deal is the one of the NIL, NIL groups here is paying those paying student athletes to appear in that podcast. I would imagine they are less inclined if they're a football player to say, Hey, let me do a Tuesday news conference for free with the, with the reporters from across the state. Do you get a sense that you're, what is the challenge in getting good quality interviews during the week do you think i mean are you getting what you need in general and do you think i i never asked but yeah i never asked but i was really curious about this last year because one of the other publishers on the fan nation platform publisher at indiana um uh, on fan nation last year had podcasts with uh the indiana quarter and i'm blanking on the names the indiana quarterback who got injured and Indiana's like best player, their linebacker and Indiana really didn't like that, but he paid them. So he had them on podcasts. And so he was able to discuss injuries with them. Maybe he wrote it in the contract. He had basketball players on a podcast. I haven't discussed it with him this year. I don't know if he's doing it, it again, because I don't know what the, uh, like what the, the viewership was for that, but I was just really curious about that. And we had these discussions a little bit last year, I never broached it with Penn State, but it really, I, you know, even I just curiously should have done it at some point and said, even off the record, I would like it. Yeah, I want to do a podcast with Jahan Dotson. One, you really can't say no. You can encourage him to say no. And I think James Franklin has, I think he's got the capacity where his players, where they would do that, where they would say no to an opportunity. But in a first-year NIL deal, if I was going to throw out $5,000 to Jahan Dotson or Sean Clifford, could I have gotten them to do a podcast last year? I, It's possible. I, it would have been – I think it's very possible that I, I could have done that. You know, um, with Penn State, their access is very consistent. And I – you know, I don't know that players necessarily they have the full grasp of, of NIL, especially Sean Clifford. He's, he fully knows about this. And I think he does know the, the concept of promotion as well, and that he needs media promotion in order to make NIL viable. And that's why he announced his NIL deal, not by himself, but through ESPN, right. through it, like an exclusive story with ESPN. And, I mean, I got – I got emails or I got DMs from Sean Clifford. I got a DM from Sean Clifford before that saying, look, we have this exclusive story coming out with ESPN, but we, you know, we're going to announce this uh, NIL agency, Limitless. So he's acting kind of 
on his own. So there is, you know, there is an element to that where you can, now you can, you can go around. I mean, Penn state does have a policy that you are not to contact players or their parents uh, on your own, that you have to go through the uh, communications, athletic communications to interview players and parents. And I think for the most part, people do try to honor that. I mean, there are certain instances where it might be unavoidable or, you know, you take a swing without them knowing, or if you have a relationship, I mean, some people have relationships with players and parents so they can have some discussions like that. But for the most part, I think they, you know, I think most part we do try to honor that, but, you know, I can reach out. I can reach out to Sean Clifford and say, I'd like to do a story about limitless. And that would be his prerogative to say yes. And then it would also be his prerogative to say yes without, you know, without Penn State's input. I'm sure he would get it, but without it, he doesn't really need it. And then during that, I could ask him about the team, that sort of thing. And I know, you know, if I have negotiated it for the right price, you can get it's not it's not illegal. It's not against any NCAA rules. For players to do that sort of thing. So I look forward to your podcast when you guys have um, Nick Singleton on next week. Those big Perfect. sponsors, Thank exactly you. right. Great, great team. Great team. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. Steve and I have had that conversation. Like when NIL first came out, that was the conversation we had. Like, but I, I, I wonder, like, what is what is Sean Clifford's time versus versus second string lineman time? You know, and, and I don't know what. I also, you know, I work on the paid social side of things. So I'm very much into the return on investment type yeah. thing. I don't know what the return on investment is there. So I understand kind of your hesitation there. And, but I, I do think, I really do think it's something that's coming. Um, and I think, I think the other thing you're going to see a lot more of is players doing their own thing. I think maybe a couple guys at Michigan did their own podcast last season. I know there were a couple schools where guys were just doing their own podcast during the season and making money off that and talking about what's going on. And I think to me, that's, you know, that's very interesting, very, I don't, I don't know if it's appealing, but because I do think like the ethics of paying someone for an interview is, is obviously Steve is, is Steve taught me back in the day of, of my college classes don't do that. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting component. Um, well, I know Kenny Pickett had a radio deal last year Yeah, in Pittsburgh. And so I, you're, uh, yeah, I mean, that's not new. That's going to be, that's going to be a thing. Micah Parsons is on this team. I might, you know, I might see if I can dig up five grand from yeah. Micah Parsons podcast. If that would, you know, like if that would have been, an opportunity. You know, if you have a, you know, if you have a really, really strong player who's one of the nation's best and an outgoing personality, you know, Saquon Barkley in 2017. Yeah. I would have done that podcast. Absolutely. Or at least tried <laughs> trace. I mean, yeah. Oh, I mean, trace, Doug, yeah, Doug, trace Doug through on that 17 team. Absolutely. Yeah. And honestly, I think Sean Clifford would be phenomenal at something like that. I really do. He's, he knows this stuff better, I think, than most of the college athletes out there. And and having the experience, the media experience that he does, I think is he's getting a second degree in journalism. So he's he's got education in it. He would be phenomenal at at something like that because he can speak, 
he could speak to it from multiple perspectives with some really interesting insight as an operator, kind of an owner operator and a player, someone in the locker room, someone who's deals with, you know, other people in the locker room. I think he'd be terrific at that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Steve, do you have anything else on the sports media part that you want to hit on? I no, I think you got more stuff. So I'm I'm sitting okay. down waiting to see what's going to happen. Okay, we're good. We're good. I'm waiting for more curveballs. There's no more curveballs. Not not that I can think of. Um, I want to ask you, Mark, about kind of the state of the program and the season. And 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 Steve and I last week kind of broke down each game, walked through each game, and discussed what we thought was going to happen this season. And usually on this podcast, I'm the optimistic one. Um thinking every season is going to be 15 and 0 and Steve <laughs> like maybe they'll win three games all year. But uh, I think our roles reversed this year. Do you think Penn State is going to be average or above average this season, I think, or below average? Okay, now we're defining at where do we define average? Well, so Steve so eight Steve, wins? So, you yeah, know, seven Steve, and a half, I think that, okay. the eight, eight-ish wins is, I that think is eight? what Steve okay. said it at. Yeah, because, week. I mean, last year was an average season from a record standpoint. Seven and six is an average season, maybe below, a little bit below. But from the specifics of last year, considering the start and the way it unfolded, I think you could call it a massive disappointment and – I, you know, I thought it was the worst worst season of James Franklin's career at Penn State because it's a non-sanctioned season and a non-COVID year. And to start out 5-0 and and not have a prepared backup to come into a game at Iowa when your starter goes down and then to have to play your starter, you know, I'm sure you've walked through all of this. It was really that. Yeah, that was, a, to me, a hugely disappointing year. So – that would be far below average. I don't know that I'm going to carry that over into this year as, as the grade and say, okay, they're above average if they win nine, that sort of thing. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be better than, than maybe people who don't want who or who were disappointed in seeing a 10 year contract delivered a 10 year contract delivered last year they're going to be better than those people think they're going to be i don't know if that makes that word makes, makes clear sense now makes yeah. any sense whatsoever they're yeah i think they're i think this is a i think they were a good football team last year that circumstantially it went wrong for them and it certainly could do that again this year I think this team has some stuff in common, maybe with that 19 team that went that won 11 games. I think, I think an 11 win season is not, you know, is not out of the realm of expectation with the players that they have, and with the young players who I think they have ready to contribute. However, if there's something, if there's a wrench thrown in there, and there's always going to be a wrench that gets thrown in there, do they respond better than they did last year? Um, I think they're in a position to respond better, especially if that wrench is the quarterback getting injured. I think they're in mm-hmm. a better position to do that. I think that, you know, far better position to withstand something like that, but you always have the, but you always have those elements 
And, you know, the wrenches and, you know, like the 2016 team, the wrench was early and they really overcame and that sort of thing. 17, it was late and it was kind of too late to necessarily recover from that Michigan State game or, you know, losing the Ohio State game. They, I don't think they have that. I, I see this as, 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 as having a ceiling like that 19 team, but there's reticence in the back of my mind because of what I saw last year. I mean, I throw 2020 out, that really didn't matter. But I think what I saw last year gives me pause in saying that they can overcome, they can overcome a speed bump uh, as, as well as maybe they were able to in other years because they couldn't do it last year. That makes, yeah, that's, that's kind of sort of about where I'm at. Although the 11 win thing got me slightly very excited there. Um, <laughs> 11 the with a bowl game. Yeah. That's okay. That's still a very good season. <laughs> yeah. I I, 10 and two. I don't, I, Steve there's always tried a to game do this to, to me last week. He, he tried to <laughs> say it's, a, it's possible. It's possible. And I'm like, eh. I th- you yeah, know, I just, I, there's I always a game. Be there's, there's that game every year that, that that just comes in, just like this hurricane, and you don't see it coming. Illinois, you know, of the last two that or Michigan State in eighteen or seventeen. These games you really just don't see coming. I think even Minnesota, I, although that game in nineteen still did have, um, I think, have the trace elements of being certainly a game they could lose, but there's that game. Maybe you just don't see it coming and it's going to happen one way or another because things went sideways and James Franklin couldn't get out of it. And um, so you always have to look for that. And that's why I see 10 and two with the, with the, uh, the caveat that is more likely to be a nine and three because of that game that you really not expecting. I, I interviewed this analyst from, from uh, VEASAN, that Vegas Assets Information Network, who was really, really high on Sean Clifford. Said he might be the second best quarterback in the Big Ten, you know, because of experience and, you know, decent enough passer, stays, knows the offense, all that sort of thing. Just smart, good quarterback. Maybe he is number two. Maybe he ends up two or three quarterback, his, his reluctance really, or the thing that he said gave him pause this year was James Franklin on game day. And I think that's where I think maybe a lot of fans are there too. I was going to say, he might like, not be alone with that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Decision-making necessarily. So that's what, that's what gives me pause <clears throat> about Penn state. It's not that James Franklin can't put together the team. It's that when he has the team on the field, and it's fourth and five. What does he choose to do with it? That is a perfect segue into my next huh. question. Um, what do you think is holding this program back to get over the hump? The hump being a playoff berth yeah. or at minimum. I think the, I think one of the main things is having the, the super, super, superstar quarterback that for the most part, playoff teams are going to have. I mean, Michigan necessarily didn't have it last year, so, you know, Cincinnati, but they were able to run a different table. But, you know, those Clemson, Georgia, Alabama teams, Ohio State, for the most part, they've got really strong top-tier quarterbacks. And I thought, I think Penn State 
their best chance would have been with, you know, was 17 with an experienced Trace McSorley and the parts that he obviously that he had around them. I think that's a main, I think that's a main element. And ultimately, I, you know, I just don't know that in general that they've had that real overall elite level offense consistently 16 and 17, I mean, Joe Moorhead was a great coordinator and he had fun with those guys, but I think, I think Mike Yersich could have had a lot of fun with those guys too. I think Kirk Sharaka could have done a lot of what he did, but it was because that was kind of bold and fresh and new and all those players that he had, I, you know, so and I think it starts there. I think it starts with the quarterback um, for the most part. And, you know, how many teams are able to win it at, at, win at Ohio state? You know, I think three of the four times Penn State has won the Big Ten, they've beaten Ohio State at home. I think the only time they it was 2008, right? Yeah. When they yeah. won at Ohio State. The other times you get them at home. So yeah, you get them at home this year. You know, you, you never know. They're the 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 full the full measure of that athletic department and the football budget and everything like that. And that's one of the things James Franklin. If you know what, just going back to what we just discussed earlier. One of his favorite quotes of last year is competing 364, the other 364 days of the year, meaning not game day. And that's what he's talking about. He wants to be able to have an analysis staff of 18 people who can break down Ohio State's third and two offense 13 different ways, which Ohio State can do, and which Clemson and Alabama and Georgia, they can do. So, you know, he could put all of that together yeah, and then make the right decisions on game day. One of the one of the things that I'm often reluctant to make, you know, a real bold, you know, you know, real bold statements and real, you know, take bold stances on is that coaching decision in that instance, that that play call or that whatever that means. So, you know, that decision to play that player in that situation, anything like that, because you know. If I go to practice, I see it for 12 minutes, essentially. I, I know right. I think on Saturday they had 40. I wasn't there. I was on vacation. They had like 40 minutes of availability at practice. It was the most I think I've ever heard. So you get 10 minutes a week, whereas they're not only watching practice live, but then they're watching, you know, 12 seconds after practice ends. They have cut-ups of every, pretty much every rep. At Penn State practice, there's a huge monitor that's kind of um, – faces the it faces the field it's backed up against uh uh hall it's a huge huge monitor that is cameras on practice that sort of thing when i was there the one i was actually watching that more than i was watching the field i was just amazed at the production that goes through not just a practice but in recording and then piecing together a practice so what i see on that saturday is the culmination of what they've seen for the full week and then for full training camp and all that sort of thing. So I get that makes me reluctant to say, how could you make that call on fourth and five? Well, if you, if you went through a week of practice and that play worked half a dozen times situationally against the defense that you thought you were going to see from Ohio state in that situation. Yeah. That was going to be the right call there. So I, again, I'm a little bit reluctant to that, but over a course of time, maybe you can come up and say, they don't make all the best decisions in all the best situations with, you know, clock management and end of end of half, end of quarter plays, things like that, or situational game calling, that sort of thing. 
And I think, yeah, I think that's, but that I know other, you know, people who know football, people who, you know, coach and watch football will say that that is a major element, the, what they do on game day. Yeah, I don't, I don't think all the analysts, if you have all the analysts and have all the data at your fingertips, if you still don't make the right call, mm-hmm. it's not going to matter, right? I mean, the call is successful. So that, that's interesting to me as, you cha- as a program champions that stuff. At some point, you still got to, you got to do whatever it was, fourth and whatever against Ohio State and make the right call or stuff doesn't play out. And I don't know that make getting more people makes them any better or worse. And I don't know that Nick Saban, the punting, the kicking game has always been kind of like for them in the years when they've struggled. It's yeah. like there's one little thing there, but yeah. Well, Mark, I don't have a, anything else. I don't know if Steve has any good questions for you left and any embarrassing questions for you left. <laughs> I don't have any embarrassing questions. He's, he does, no, I, so I, I was serious when I said I, I read the stuff and, and I'm glad he's doing it. So, and, and for me, it's, 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 there's, there's comfort there, like the historical stuff or the perspective yeah. stuff. Like Wilgo's going to pull it back in someday. I'll read somebody else's stuff. Like I was reading stuff today from one of the beat writers in the local paper and it was all notes from, from, from the, the, the accessibility. I'm like, it's just a bunch of notes. There's no context. There's no, this is what happened and whatever else. And, and to me, it was like snapshots of a, it was like a video in print look over here, you saw this, look over here, you saw this. That, that doesn't mean much to me. And I think when people can contextualize it a little bit, I think that's what makes it good. And that's what I appreciate about, about Mark's stuff. So no, no questions. Oh, and that I appreciate too. Look at that. That makes know. up Darian, for catfishing me. Of... <laughs> for what? That makes up for catfishing me. My scene. this, I'll bring this one up. Do you ever tell you about the, 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 no. the now we have to hear it. Me, no, now we year. have to hear it. Uh-oh, I don't know. Did I do that? Oh, God. You had... I don't know if it was somebody at the collegiate. Somebody at the collegiate call me like in April of our senior year, posing as a an administrator in the school of communications to say I was I was going to be three credits shy or four credits shy of graduating, and could I please call uh, my advisor at the time? And there was it was on my voicemail. I think you knew when I was in the collegiate when I was in the office. <laughs> and got somebody to do that so there's a voicemail i come onto this voicemail don't you know and this again this is in the pre-internet days so i can't go and check online anywhere you know what i uh, whether i failed something or what class i may have missed or something like that so of course like a sleepless night turns into me banging on a door of my advisor at like 8 50 without an appointment to which i was told Nobody here called you. <laughs> I do not remember this. Oh my gosh. gosh horrible. Wow. You fessed wow. up when I went, when I walked into the office, into the collegiate office and said, can you believe this? I think somebody might've like been playing a prank on me. <laughs> and you just started laughing. Oh, wow. I'm horrible. So it was, all right, kudos. Oh, okay. Okay. You did get no. me. You got me good. I was probably trying to get you back. We, we, you mentioned the Tijuana stories, the scariest night of my life. <laughs> Bar none. Was when we went to the game in San Diego, and you want you and Troy wanted to go to Tijuana. We drive this car that was, I think it was a three cylinder car, because every time we went over the, the 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 reflectors in the middle of the lanes in Southern California, the car kind of jumped, even with three people in it when we were passing. And we parked outside the parking lot in Tijuana, outside the official parking lot. Mark's like, "Oh, it'll be okay. Car will be fine. It'll be, it'll be great." I'm like, "We'll go. It's we're not even in the lot." He's like, "It'll be fine." I'm like, "It's not going to be here when we come back. It's going to be on cinder blocks." And you go through the gate from, from the United States to Tijuana, and it's like a big metal 
turnstile with things. Yeah. And as you go, like there's, there's click, every bar has like little hanging piece of metal. So it clicks as you're going through. I felt like I was going into a maximum security prison. <laughs> like there was just no way I had never been out of the country before. And it was just like, I couldn't wait to get back on. Like, I, I, I think I wanted to get down and kiss the ground when we came back because I was that scared. I just wanted to get back and get to the hotel and be like scared. We just said taxi to Revolution Street, please. Yes, it was. It was. And what Mark was like, uh, in my mind, he was it'd the world fine. Yeah, it'd be it'd great. Be it's, fine. It's, it's fine. People do this all the time. Tercery or all the time. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was great. Nobody died. <laughs> Nobody died. But as I said, when he texted with stories, we were served... We went into a bar and we got served beers where the bottles were already opened. Like they came to us and we said, no, it's okay. (laughs) We were smart enough to, uh, (laughs) whether that that was, you know, whether that was, you know, paranoia or brains, I I don't know. I'll I'll choose to think that it was being responsible. No, you guys turned out all right. Well, one of you turned out all right. The other one, (laughs) he now goes to co-host a podcast with me so that should tell you everything he knows um mark do you have stuff to plug you're a journalist so of course you have stuff to plug. absolutely why not the site is called all penn state and it's it's at an si.com platform so it's si.com slash college slash penn state the network it's called the fan nation network it's a collection of college and professional sites that cover each team um, from a very kind of a, a local point of view. So there's a ton of stories, a lot of it, you know, a lot of recruiting, especially in college on the college sites, a lot of recruiting, a lot of good stuff all across the network. Many of them are free. Some have, you know, for the most part, it's free. Some have subscription lanes, uh, especially for the recruiting, but there's a lot of, you know, a lot of really good stuff out there. So I recommend it for not just Penn State coverage, but for across the big 10 now too, as everybody's ramping up really good. All right. Well, we will definitely check you out there. Thank you for joining us. Guys, thanks so much. It's been fun. Steve, um, it seems like you, you've become more world-traveled tra- after that incident. Well, but, I, I, that's true. I need to credit it all to that trip. You're exactly right. There you go. That was, that's Just take one, one step out of the country and, and you're free. Um, that was a really good interview. I think the interesting conversation would to me was the conversation that we've had a couple of times of NIL and kind of, you know, that return on investment considering, do you, you want to reach out to someone like a Sean Clifford or a John Dotson? Um, I, I think for me, like we've talked about is what's, what's the return there and what access are you really going to get? And also what does that cost me? And I think Mark even alluded to that. Um, so that was, that was definitely interesting. I think, the one thing that was also interesting was, you know, talking about paying attention to what James Franklin really says and kind of reading between the lines with him. Um, I think I get caught up in that, that I don't do a good enough job of that. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of fans that kind of get hung up on one thing that he says, but Mark kind of opened my brain to kind of piecing things together, if you will. Yeah, it's kind of like the long con. Like you got to kind of play it out and read between the lines over and over. It's not just one week at a time. And I think if you do that, you you get a better sense of the bigger picture. And I think he does that well. So I think that's one of his strengths. And I think that's why he's not as reactionary as some other people. And maybe why sometimes his stuff doesn't get the attention to some other people because it's not as reactionary. But I think the quality 
differentiates it that way. That's a good point. Um, that's, that's a good point. Um, I think his point about the quarterback is interesting. I feel like that was kind of, you know, of the people that I've talked to, like, I think we all kind of known that, but I think it was interesting to hear that from him. Um, Cause that's somebody that follows the beat a lot more closely than maybe you or I do. Um, and I think I, I really did appreciate his comment about coaching decisions. Now, of course, like there are things that I think James Franklin would admit he should have done differently. Um, you know, maybe taking the time out here to clock management there, you know, not doing that play there. Uh, but I, I, I try not to kind of criticize that when I, when I critique a game, you know, looking over a game afterward, I think that's an interesting way to approach things because again, I never really thought about the fact that, you know, as he said, they're getting thousands upon thousands of hours every week of film live reps that they're getting to understand that, you know, we get to see three hours worth, um, you know, with a, a completely uncontrollable variable thrown into it with a different team. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, it's easy to react. It's, 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 not often that people put those pieces together. I don't, and I think Mark said, yeah, it matters. I mean, he kind of came back and said, I'm not going to judge that, but football people I talk to kind of think that's an issue too. So I, I think that's to his credit, a journalistic approach to it, right? Not taking a shot at people as much, but but reporting what's there. And I and I do think, again, that's another differentiator in terms of not saying, oh, the coach makes these horrible decisions. As a fan, I can do that. But as a reporter, it's probably better that he doesn't let somebody else say it or says, hey, this is their business. They should know what they're doing. And if they don't, that's what shows up in terms of wins and losses. Right. Um, any other big takeaways for you from you? No, just a reaffirmation. I mean, I, I thought it was a good conversation because he, he's smart and he goes about it in a different way that isn't. But he starts to balance the hits and the, and the social media attention and, and, and talked about getting Penn State football 2022 in the first 100 words or whatever it was. Like those are things that matter and impact how he does his business and, and it's great that someone's savvy enough to think that way but also be thinking the journalistic way too yeah i think i think that's that was a challenge that i had at the collegian even you know was trying to get it, it it can take away your creativity a lot like seo can take away creativity so finding ways to be creative but still kind of respecting that playing in that bound um that's a skill that you have to have these days um and I, I think Mark does a good job at that. It's not it's not cookie cutter SEO. And I, I hate when I get to a site and it's cookie cutter SEO because I know that that's not enjoyable to read. Exactly, exactly. All right, Steve. Um, we're, we don't really have anything else, but we do have the, this week's old guy, young guy. I'm popping, springing this one on you. Cool. Um, it's, it's not too stressful, don't worry. Um, so... We are flying to Indianapolis next week, I believe, Tuesday night, um, and returning Friday, going to, the, of course, the game on Thursday. Uh, but we are not bringing carry-on luggage. We are only doing personal items. And I want to know, Steve, are you the light packer of the fam the Samsel family? Like, or are you the, the heavy packer? Define between... the Samsel family. Well, uh, let's go with uh, just you and your wife, you, you and Susan right now. And then we'll discuss the girls later. I'm sure the girls are 12 pounds. I would say, in terms of a light packer, I would say Susan's the more efficient packer. Mm -hmm. I am, I'm fairly light. Like when we just did 
when we did Ireland and Scotland this year, we both did a backpack and a roller bag. And that was it for two weeks in, in two foreign countries. Um, so Susan, there's not many women that I know that probably could do what Susan did and still come off looking right at all the right occasions and whatever else with what, with what she'd done. <laughs> that was so that I don't, but I, in terms of light, like I'm, I'm more of the pain in the ass packer. Like I'll pack for a week. I had as much shit to go to the beach for a week that I, that I had for two weeks in Ireland and Scotland. Cause I stress packed at the end and threw in too much stuff uh -huh. I didn't need. Um, but I've gotten better at like contacts, glasses, pair of shorts, a couple different shirts and I'm good. Like when we go, when we go to Purdue, you know, you take, you're just doing the backpack thing. Like if we wouldn't be taking the dog along, like it could be a really light visit. He'll have more stuff than anybody else. <laughs> well, he's adorable. He deserves more stuff than anybody else. <laughs> he just, he, he is adorable. Um, we, like I've, I've taught myself as I've traveled more on in life. Like I have taught myself how to pack lighter and lighter. And I, I, I'm excited for this challenge of packing in a backpack only. Um, cause I'm like already like thinking through, okay, I'm going to bring this and that, but not that normally I bring this. Um, so I, I was just curious, um, there, do you, now the girls are, I assume having married someone about the same age as your girls, um, they are not light packers, right? Like uh, one of them is one of them is not. Okay. Do you want to give credit to the one that is? Sam is also a very efficient packer. Her sister is not. Okay. And they're That's, both very self-aware and know that. So yes. Okay. Okay. So if they've listened this far, which God bless them if they have, they will not be upset. Okay. All right. Good. Usually, usually when Sam gets a shout out, I get a text. So I think we'll be uh, we'll we'll know. Her her read receipt is on for listening to this podcast. So. Oh, there we go. All right. Anything else you want to discuss? No, have a safe trip next week. Well, we'll talk yeah. to you before next week. Yeah. So have a good weekend. Uh safe travels to you. Um it's football season next week and we have a, a wonderful guest that we've been teasing it's it's mr brian trip uh we are except very excited to have him on um we've talked a lot there's a trip's got some up life updates like he's he's kind of doing well for himself so we'll, we'll discuss you know kind of what his vision for the 2022 2023 school year is so to speak uh for penn state um because i think he's got a lot going on um and uh steve uh happy uh first week of classes right yes sir started today so yep class tomorrow. all right all right well make sure you kids pay attention to professor steve nice do people call you mr samsel what do they call you you just like just call me steve yeah i say that and then they still call you professor which i it's just you know okay but like i try i don't have a degree so i don't even call me so that in front of somebody who's actually got a phd because i have to tick off a real faculty member so i try to encourage you know Steve, this is Mr. Samson, whatever. So, all right, all right, um, all right. Well, been another great episode of our podcast. Um, five stars, thumbs up, all of that. Um, we've got an email. Stuff summer says podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, we both have Twitter handles. Mine is at stuff summer says. Yours is at Steve Samson. Anything else? Going once, going twice. So, so. Bye.